This is Urban Echoes, episode 4, Put Your Price Up. We meet with Emily, who tells us about being a sex worker in London. In the last few years, there's been so many TV shows uh, and movies. And it's now, like, become, at least for me, something popular to identify with. Urban Echoes. Urban. Urban Echoes. I was working, started working um, in London. I've never been against it. Um, it's always something I've support, felt support for with the women, but never anything I've considered myself. Um, the circumstances surrounding it was just moved to London. I'd started my masters, and you know it's so expensive. And um, you know I had my own tiny little flat because that's all you can get. And I was working full time, so I was working in a shitty call centre. Um, nine to five, five days a week. And then the two days I had off, I had lectures. So it was like a full week all the time with essays and everything on top of it. I was hating it, hating life, but I didn't want to just hate life. I'd never lived in London before, so got Tinder for the first time. And um, I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna... I was basically on a date four times a week with all of these different guys. And then I'd meet one in one area, one in another area. Because for me, it was I'd never lived in London. So I wanted to see all the different areas. And it was fun, you know, going out for cocktails. And then, um, I guess I, I found at one point that it was more effort. There was one night I was meeting this guy in Camden. We'd been chatting for a bit. And I'd taken my clothes into work. I'd done an eight-hour shift. I was going an hour commute from work to Camden to go and meet him. Got to Camden, he didn't show up. Like, it's the first time in my life I've ever been stood up. But I went out, got some piercings. It was fine, the night was great. But I thought at that point, I was like, I should be getting paid for my time. You know, I've always been very... I guess sexually liberated, like I'm quite happy um, having, uh, making the distinction, I guess, you know, between sex and relationships. It's like I should be fucking getting paid for this, and it was sort of a joke in my head. Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, hold on. So, what I was doing at the time was sending messages online which is virtual, but you get paid per message. It was a nice little thing that going to your bank once a week, depending how many messages you send. But after that, I just changed something in my head and I sort of thought, what about something else? And that's, and I did. I, I ended up quitting my nine to five job and doing the sex work instead of the horrible call centre. Because it is illegal, at the time when I was doing it, I was living with four other girls that went to university. They were doing their undergrad in nursing. But I 
like if one of them had realized what I was doing because to me it was very obvious I was with my hours and I'd go out and come back the next morning I wasn't you know it was like I knew I would have if it had been someone else I'd have had an idea they didn't know but it was in my head at the time if they report me to the university I can be thrown off my masters like I can be I can be out of the house the landlord can check me out so as I'm very happy to discuss it and talk about it but there's just that thing in your mind because it is still illegal My name's Emily, and I was a sex worker in London. Um, I was a, an escort, I did webcamming, and I did um, virtual messaging and things like that up until quite recently. some friends because of it um, friends who are very liberal and um, who just some weird weird there's still very strange attitudes towards it um, so I, I feel no shame about it I am not I don't feel shameful at all but it doesn't make me any less careful there is a, a lot of risk involved the only way to minimise it is to let people know where you are, your address, how long you're going to be, to keep yourself safe. So I knew that other people needed to know. And also I just wanted to tell my friends because it, it was a big change in my life. Um, but I think even with people who would identify as being quite open and liberal and sexually free and all of these things, the they have bias that they're not aware of, um, especially when it's someone very close to them. They think maybe they can weigh in when they can't. So it's, it's, it's been quite tricky knowing who to tell and who not to tell. But as time's gone on, now I don't really care. You know, if you don't like what you hear, then that's fine. My family is a little bit different, so there's only me and my dad, um, and my dad is an ageing hippie. Mid-50s, he goes out skateboarding every morning, he comes home and he listens to heavy metal and smokes a joint, so um, we've got a good relationship, which is more like friends, uh, and he's, he's worldly, and he's, he's not daft, so they I've never said it, but I never needed to. Like, there was a, we had a conversation outside a pub once down in Cornwall, and um, he, he started telling me how to manage my time and what I was doing, and I can't remember my exact wording, um, but he said, I, I know what you're doing as long as you're safe, and you know, and said, I am, and everything's fine, and you don't need to worry, and that was the end of it. So, I'm really lucky. 
um, on that side. Like, my family's small, but my dad's pretty awesome. So. I was an escort, which I, I don't really enjoy differentiating the types, but because I was an escort, it was it's just me it's me and the person that is paying for the service so i'm not in a group of other women and i miss that because you can I, that's the one thing i wish had have been a bit different um but with that comes a bunch of other things that you've got to consider because someone's usually taking a part of your money there are big um agencies in london that advertise um but then you're in within a group of women that are on the website and people pick you know and if you're in that situation it's different but then you've got to consider that you're you're not your own independent you're not your own independent person you're working for someone else um, and that's something I considered a lot when I knew that I could just do it directly so um, I don't I was never part of a network I wanted the 100% say in all of my decisions so it was harder in the beginning to connect with people but I am glad that I did it that way and that I wasn't involved in um, in a biz in someone else's business that, just, that comes with a lot of other stuff that I've never been involved in it takes me back I know <laughs> <laughs> so I was online for maybe a year already for like messaging and that's just really simple like practically you can go online adult sex messaging look up companies you know not legal but it's right there like and you can see it um, so I was doing that for about a year and then um, I heard of uh, a site that advertises sugar babies with sugar daddies it's called Seeking Arrangement I, I watched a documentary actually and it was about women using this service for prostitution and like the my thoughts about all of this is that it's all the same whether you get paid in a handbag or whether you get paid in cash you cannot look on one as being less than the other it is all the same so um I got on the website, I made a profile, um, and it's so easy, it's out there, you can download the app, like it's an app. Um, and that's what I did everything on. So it's, I, I'm not really sure how it's still running, because all you need to do is create a profile on that website, and that is all it is. People messaging you with how much. So, um, if it's not how much is it, so some people will message you, how much is it for one night, how much is it for one hour, how much is it for six hours, how much is it for overnight, so you have these structures or there's some things you say no to, there's some things you say yes to depending on your profile. Um, if it's not worded like that, there's other types of men that are more 
difficult, but it's the same thing. How much is your monthly allowance? Because they would rather pay you three grand a month and pretend that it's not a, a transactional relationship, but they're just looking after you. And I'm like, if that helps you sleep, then that is what you, you feed it as. So I got quite good at working out who wanted to hear what. Because the majority of men that buy sex work hate sex workers. So it's easier for them to say, I am helping out a woman with her bills. We have a romantic relationship. I'm just helping someone out less fortunate, but we really get on. And I am paying her 3000 2000 a month as an allowance. And then they would look at something that is per night transactional as dirty and cheap, even though it's exactly the same thing. But it's like they've deluded themselves in their head that doing doing something that way puts them into a certain bracket, which is so transparent and obvious and funny when you're the one that is playing it, which it is does become what it is because you know I'm I'm not a therapist. Well, I sort of am actually. I have been like quite a therapist, but still, you pay them. And within that, there were subs, guys that wanted dominating. That's a very specific thing. There were certain fetishes that, again, like that was specific. And then within that, there were, how do I put it? Um, like saviors, guys that wanted to save. So, and they were the majority of men. So, and they, under no circumstances could you ever refer to yourself as being a sex worker, a prostitute, anything. You're just like a damsel in distress that needs saving. And that meant that their ego could cope, that they weren't paying for a woman. And they were the majority of people. So the thing, if I'm stereotyping that, what when speaking with them, you couldn't argue. They're always right. Um, you know, so conversations about politics were very difficult. You have to smile and nod, and you know they're usually conservative. They like their money. They want to keep their money. Um, so conversations with them could be very difficult, but basically they're always right. You're not a sex worker. They're helping you to live your best life. Um, and they were the majority of men that I dealt with, that I worked with. Um, that, and that was the hardest thing. It was never the sex. That was the easiest thing. You know, like that can be mechanical as you want it to be. That I always found easy. It was... The hardest part was sitting through um, these hundred-pound dinners with men being racist and homophobic and wanting you to sit and nod and smile. With these people, I I felt like they should be paying me because no normal person puts up with that shit. Like, you should be paying me. And um, it's difficult. It's emotionally difficult to um, 
to keep your own identity whilst you're dealing with that to know that you're not um, like reinforcing it in any way um, whilst you're also putting a price on yourself which at some points like anyone who's had any issues with their own uh, body or self-worth or mental health or anything it's a really tricky thing to throw in there um, so it, it's not it's not simple I thought it would just be the sex but it's not last few years there's been so many TV shows uh, and movies um, it's now like become at least for me something popular to identify with but it's also like divided the market so being a sugar baby is now really a term that many people know but then if you identified that as a prostitute that's when people get uncomfortable and say, no, 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 you're just getting an allowance. I've done it, it's a prostitute. That's a stalker, it, it's the same thing. So the, how the media is at the minute, it, it's, I think there's a show on at the minute and I'm still, I don't know whether I wanna watch it and it's talking about a dominatrix in New York and they're short little 20 minute things um, but what tends to happen and why I'm put off is that they take a niche that people are more easily able to quantify in their head and it's glamorized and they don't they don't see the reality of it but also they don't see it as direct prostitution so maybe they'll be okay with webcam or they'll be okay with virtual or to a degree people have gotten more and more accepting of like dom work sub work the more fetish stuff but if you said i'm going into a hotel and i'm leaving after an hour with 500 that makes the same people who think that's a great thing really uncomfortable they do categorize it more mm -hmm. instead of understanding that it's all the same thing but just on a spectrum and to say that something at one end of the spectrum is okay whereas cash in your hand is not i don't understand the thing i i guess i'd mention is just to be really careful about the types of media that you interact with um, like just be mindful like is something being glamorized to a point where it's offensive to the people who in real life is some or is something really being fetishized <laughs> with a lot of the things I see it's glamorized and demonized at the same time and just try to remember that that's a person doing a job that is making money for, uh, to, to, to survive um, for their life so um, just question what you see because it hasn't always come from it, well, it usually hasn't come from someone who's done it it's come from someone's romanticised idea about how it's going to be not how it actually is majority of the time I, I mean I turn up looking very glamorous but it doesn't mean that I go home and live in a penthouse 
you know what you present is just that it's a presented version of some aspects of a persona that is created um, the, putting up with certain types of people is difficult you know um, it's not always easy After a while, um, of seeing a few people, I could work out um, how much to charge for different times. But also, it was different for every different man. So, some people that were contacting me were straight up and they wanted to meet for an evening, for an hour, for two hours. That was easier. Um, people that were under the impression that it wasn't prostitution, sex work um, then it's more difficult so then it would be they wanted to do more of an allowance situation um, so I would say I had a bill which I did um, or they would cover my rent or they would cover certain things so it really depended on the person and their stance on sex work um, so it, it changed being uh, an escort you have to it's not quick. You really have to build up relationships with people. So many men will want to meet you, um, you know, take you out for a drink, uh, and then meet you again for dinner. So and then by maybe date three, you could organise some type of allowance or transaction. So it was type, quite time-consuming. Um, To, to do things properly, um, and if I was doing it again, it really is a full-time job. To, to do it well, it's a lot of effort, and unfortunately, not unfortunately, but what you look like is very important. Um, having everything waxed, everything tweezed, your face needs to be perfect, your hair needs to be done, um, you need to look good, you need to fit in your clothes, you need to have nice clothes, you're meeting men with a lot of money, they want you to show up looking good, looking like something that they would pay money for, so it took a lot of time um, and I was already very busy. I covered my bills, I covered my rent, um, and I did it in London, which is just expensive, so I did okay. Not okay to a point where I've got lots of savings or anything like that. But I didn't have to do another job. That was my job. Um, I've refused to meet people off like a huge gut instinct that turned out correct in the end. Um, I, there's one guy um, that contacted me on the site but his, his use, like his language was very um, degrading like from the beginning like I buy you, you are mine, I will speak to you how I want that type of, that underlay all of his speech and I didn't like it, I said I didn't like it um, at that point he tried to buy me for his friend um, I just said no and then ended up getting a lot of abuse and had to block him and things like that so I, I use my gut with it apart from that there's only certain things that you can do 
um, meet people in public places for the first the first time. You know, meet in public for a drink, get their address. Um, I went out of the country once, um, but my two friends, um, I gave them the details. They had the name of the hotel. They knew how to contact me. I gave them his name and told them, told him that I was giving his name but there is only so much that you can do um, it is dangerous and you can't really get around that too much if you decide to do this um, so I, I put precautions in place but there's only so many because you can't report anything it makes people it, worst case scenario something happens you don't report you would not say anything because you are committing a crime um like you, there's no there's not really any way around it until it gets decriminalized but i don't see that happening here anytime soon like i just don't there isn't really um that would be the best thing about having a group of women around you or working with other people working in an organization but then there's other types of things that come into that that which make you unsafe from different angles if you have a pimp if there's other people wanting there's other lots of other pressures that make you vulnerable i don't think there ever there ever is going to be a good situation until it's legal It, it impacts everything. It will. It can impact your family, your friendships, your health, the jobs you're applying for, your mental health, your physical. There's no. There's no parts that it doesn't affect, but there's also no area where it's safe to talk about. Even with your friends and your family, it's a dangerous subject to discuss. So things need to change. I don't know how. I don't know. I know how, I just I don't know when that's going to happen, if it's going to happen. Unfortunately, it's many women that have that idea. It's more women that actually will say, that's wrong, they don't have a choice, they've had a bad childhood, you know, they don't have the option. Um, and, they, and they put that on you. Mm -hmm. There's a, a huge fear of looking at someone making these choices and then they look at their husband. They look at the male people in their life. They, I mean, realistically, most people are either, they know a sex worker or they know someone who has paid for sex. But looking at something that people find so intimate and putting a price on it just makes people uncomfortable and I think it questions their idea of um, marriage and relationships and monogamy and intimacy and things that really they've never questioned in their whole life so it's so much easier to say those women are doing the devil's work they're doing this you know they're immoral they don't have or they don't have options and there's the pity thing rather than to look and say well what but why like why is it a bad thing if everyone's safe and consenting and also, why is that worse than being virtual or um, an escort? Why? 
Congratulations! Thank you. You look beautiful. <laughs> Conflate trafficking with consensual sex work is it's very uneducated and it's very ignorant, which is fine if that if you don't want to educate yourself. The problem is when these same people have decisions about how I live my life. If that is your if that's your belief and that's that's what you think fine but when it impacts the laws that impacts me that's the problem if you think that is your position to talk about at least know what you're talking about or talk to the people that you're talking about that i think is very dangerous to talk about the two things in one sentence um i don't regret it i did the best thing for myself um, at the time and I'd do it again and I'd still do it um, and nothing anyone would say would change my mind about that yeah, exactly. clients that have had impotence issues which is I think a huge reason why they want to pay for sex and have someone not judge them um, and have helped them with that um, and felt really great about it and taken all the, the judgment out of it there's been no pressure um, so they can really find out what is going on with them um, I've had guys that didn't um, they just didn't feel confident um, and help them feel more about themselves. Like on the other side of it, I've had guys with really, really huge penises um, <laughs> that were too scared to like pick up girls in bars because they were scared of their junk and things like that so you know like working with them and doing positions and you know it's fine if you do like this and like it's just like a, a practice you know it's like good practice so they can then go and meet uh, someone they're going to have a relationship with it's it's fun there's a huge part of it that is fun this is it like when you find the the client's that you are comfortable with, that support you in the ways that you want to be supported, and you feel like you're doing the right thing for them as well. That's great, because then it is more of a friendship, um, and you feel like you're helping people. Like, it sounds really trite, but it's true. My perception of, it has nothing to do with sex. It's just a separate thing. I went into this knowing that beforehand, you know, being very comfortable having casual sex um, with partners that understood the situation and I understood the situation, it was all fine. But my um, idea of intimacy is much, it's more, it's a relationship with that person um, that goes far beyond sex. It has nothing to do with sex, although that can be an element. Um, I don't think they're the same. I've never had intimacy with anyone I've worked with. Um, although I think they don't feel the same. And I have cut things off because they 
fell in love, which has happened, and they they got too close, and they have problems. Um, for me, realistically, I've never wanted, felt desire with anyone that I've had a transactional relationship with. So the first time I went to meet someone, we'd agreed on the price, we'd agreed where we were going to meet, we'd, we both knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, I absolutely no attraction and I was concerned about how I was going to deal with that. But honestly, I find it... Um, strange for a moment and then like riding a bike which is not a great analogy but it, it, your body takes over and becomes separate from your mind after doing it for a while and then trying to step out of it the hardest thing for me was trying to reconnect sex with um, someone you care about um, and make it something intimate I find it very easy to break them apart but after doing it as a job, it's harder to put back together. So I can see that being a problem for a lot of people. Um, it was for me. But I also know that I felt empowered while I was doing it. I never felt taken advantage of. Um, during my experiences, I could always leave. I always had um, the agency to behave in however I wanted to behave. Um, that's my own personal journey. And you can't take your own feeling and put it onto anyone else. I never feel like I was, um, like it was a sort of trauma. It was my decision. It was something I wanted to do. I've never spoken about it to anyone in the medical profession. I don't want it on my records. So when you go for sexual health testing, they always ask, um, are you, you know, using needles? Um, you know, that's a levels of contamination, infection, uh, or are you a sex worker? And I've never answered yes, because I, I, I just, I don't feel comfortable. Um, and even when I've been assured that the GP won't get the record, I, I don't feel okay. So um, health-wise, um, I check-ups pretty regularly. You know, I was always safe, but I never spoke to anyone in the healthcare profession about it. If I ever went for a job in any capacity where I needed to disclose and that was on there, like I, that, that was my concern. But I mean, also with doctors, they're people, they're humans, and they've got all of their own biases. And if I go in and need help with anything, like mental health or physical health, and they look at my records and they see that I've discussed this with them, am I going to be treated differently? Like, I don't know. And knowing 90% that that won't happen, it's just not enough. If something traumatic has happened, they want to refer, they want you to speak to people, and more people come in, and that's what I was concerned with. I was fine, I was healthy, I knew I was healthy, I was getting checked, I just didn't feel like it was necessary, and I didn't really feel like it was anyone else's business. I stopped meeting people, although I carried on doing virtual things like webcamming and messages. 
I don't personally feel like I could meet people and be in a relationship at this point. Some people can, and like hats off to them. I just, I just cannot. Um, it's not something I want to do at this time, um, unless it was something virtual. But I, like, I never ruled it out for future. It's not something I've ever turned my back on. And um, I knew after I met that first man that something did click in my head because it becomes um, a way, it, it's such a huge part of your life. Um, and it is, in a sense, something that you I, will identify as whether you're actively doing it or not because of how the conversation is with other people and how much it is discriminated against. It, it, it stunts your conversation and who you can speak to. So in that sense, it will always be something that I'm close to that I feel is a part of me, whether I'm active or I'm not. Um, but not right now, for a moment. I'm, I'm proud of what I did. I, I think I helped people. I'm still in contact with them. I feel no shame about what I did. Um, it can be a very satisfying job. Um, I've got a lot of professional pride in how I've handled situations and dealt with it. It's a hard job, but um, just don't be, don't be ashamed with what you're doing. It, it's valid, it's a valid service. Put your price up.